but if I don't see you guys for like a couple days throughout the week, like I'm, I just saw Brendan looking at me, like he's in my DNA. Like I didn't get to see that guy this week or a week after some of your faces. I know uh, you guys were out for fall break. My wife and I, we were out. Um, but then coming back into town with uh, Hurricane Michael blowing through, like I went into Blackbird expecting to see you guys or have you guys come over the house and most of you guys were gone. So um, I'm just, I don't know about you, but I'm just ready to get back in the groove of things. So like Bailey mentioned at the beginning of the week, it's uh, that sign falling and like being tattered and broken is a good depiction of who we are, uh, but that we come back and we worship. It doesn't matter about a sign. It doesn't matter that we've got this uh, floors that we tried so hard to make look perfect and now it looks like a starry night. Like it's a beautiful depiction of who we are as the body of Christ. So I'm really glad to be back here worshiping the Lord with you. So let's get back on the same page together. Uh, I don't know if you guys missed a couple weeks or uh, if you've been out in the sermon series that we've been walking through through to live is Christ as we study through Philippians. So if you've been out, you can always catch back up on podcasts. You can listen to us. Um, So Bailey did an amazing job last week for us as we continued this study. So you can always listen there. Uh, We're also on SoundCloud, but I think it would be really important for us uh, if you've missed or you just haven't been here for us to catch back up before we dive directly back into the text. So just to see where we have been. So as we started this sermon series, we got to see Paul talking to the church at Philippi, saying that they have grace and peace now as the saints, as Christians. They have grace from the Lord and peace from God. And the beautiful point this morning is for us that what we learned is that we also have that grace and peace as Christians, that we were once alienated strangers from God, that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and that sin separated us from a perfect and holy God, meaning there was no peace between us and God, but that God in his grace sent his son to die for us and redeemed us and brought about that peace. We get to see that this grace and peace as we continued in this study was not just for us. That this grace and peace as the Lord has changed our lives in this room this morning, that we take that grace and we take that peace into this community around us for the sake of the gospel because there are men and women that are in our classes, in our families, in our jobs, in our school that don't know the Lord. So we take that grace, but we don't take it alone. We learn from Paul that we take this in a gospel partnership that the men and women sitting in the chairs right beside you, that you are partnering together as the church. You don't go to church, you are the church, and you partner together to take this grace and peace to the world. What we got to see as we continued is that as we take this gospel to the world, that there's a sanctification process that happens, that God has saved us, but we're not yet fully perfect, that God is even using each other, us, in this room to sanctify us, to make us more and more like him as we go and take this message. But as we talked about that as well, we saw last week that Bailey did an amazing job teaching for us that as we go and in this mission, as we take the gospel, inevitably suffering comes. And Bailey giving us the example of the Apostle Paul showed us how we can endure in the light of suffering. So I, I, I think it's really fitting, uh, as we were breaking up this series, um, this sermon today is really just part two. 
from last week, where I'm just picking up at verse 19. So if you guys are looking, um, reading alongside of us, go ahead and be flipping over to Philippians 1, 19 through 21, and you'll see that where Bailey left off last week at verse 18, and where we're picking up this morning, verse 19, there's not a period in between those verses, there's a comma. Because Paul is continuing in this thought of suffering. But as we broke up this series, we thought it's a beautiful depiction of Bailey taught us how we can endure in the light of suffering last week because of Christ, that this week, how we can rejoice in the light of suffering because of Christ. So we're not, I'm not, as your pastor, ignorant to the fact that when we're talking about suffering this week, as we talked about suffering last week, that suffering is a very real thing that is going on. There are many of us in this room this morning uh, that have been suffering, that will continue to suffer through physical ailments, through anxiety, through depression, through the loss of a loved one, through all kinds of suffering. But as we talk about this, suffering is maybe even more prevalent, if I could say that word, in our lives this morning because the suffering we got to see from Hurricane Michael. So suffering is a very real thing. So when we talk about this morning about being able to rejoice in the light of suffering, we know that this is a weighty topic that we're diving into. But what we believe is that the scriptures are clear and they are true is why we can rejoice in the light of suffering. So as we dive into the text this morning, we believe that Philippians 1, 19 through 21 are Paul's words inspired by the Holy Spirit that we can apply to our lives today to show us how we can rejoice in the light of suffering. So as we dive in this text, the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is this, and we'll throw this up on the screen here for you, is when it comes to suffering, How can I rejoice in suffering when it feels like it is going to destroy me, possibly even kill me? That's the question that many of us may be asking ourselves in the room this morning as whatever that bit of suffering that you're dealing with is coming to mind. Because the truth of the matter is we live in a broken and sinful and flawed world. You are suffering, and if you're not currently, it's, it's coming for you. So how do we rejoice in suffering this morning when it feels like our suffering is going to destroy us, possibly even kill us? So let's read these verses together, dive into the text, and see what the Apostle Paul has to say about why we can rejoice in the light of suffering. So we're going to pick up actually at the tail end of verse 18. Like we said, this is a continuation of this thought. It why we can rejoice in the light of suffering. So picking up the tail end of verse 18 where Paul says this, Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Lord, we humble ourselves this morning before you. As we approach such a weighty topic of suffering, 
God, we ask for your wisdom this morning. We ask for your discernment from these scriptures to apply to our life. Because God, suffering is real and we feel the pangs of sin and death every day. But God, your word promises that we can rejoice even in the light of suffering. So we ask that you reveal yourself this morning that you would glorify yourself through the proclamation of your word, that we would trust that your word is right, even though we may not feel like we can rejoice in the light of suffering. So Jesus, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray, amen. So as we dive into this text this morning to learn from the example of the Apostle Paul of how he rejoiced in the light of his suffering, let's take from his example and learn how we can rejoice in the light of our suffering. So let's pick up here in verse 19. So if you highlight or underline or circle in your Bible, uh, on your smartphone, whatever it may be, go ahead and circle, highlight, underline the phrase at the tail end of verse 19. This will turn out for my deliverance. This will turn out for my deliverance. If we have any hope this morning of understanding how the Apostle Paul rejoices in the middle of suffering, we've got to understand the relationship between the word deliverance there and the this. So the this that Paul is talking about in that sentence I had you underline is his suffering. Paul is saying this suffering is gonna turn out for my deliverance. So if we have any hope of understanding how we can rejoice, we've gotta understand the correlation between these words, between this suffering and my deliverance. Now it would be very easy for me this morning as your pastor to take this verse out of context to just take this one verse and answer that question that we threw up on the screen there. If you want to throw that back up there for him, Tristan, it would be very easy for me to take this verse, pluck it out of its context and not read it in the fullness of scripture and just say, well, how can, how can we rejoice when it feels like our suffering is gonna destroy us, possibly even kill us? Well, Paul says it right here that this will turn out for my deliverance. I can tell you that God is gonna say that he's gonna deliver you from your suffering so you can rejoice. I could tell you that, that Paul says that there. I could even take you back to the Old Testament, back to saying that God's a God of deliverance in the New Testament. Well, he's also the God of deliverance in the Old Testament and take you to the story of how God delivered his people, the Israelites, from their bondage in Israel or in, in Egypt from the Egyptians. I could say that he's a God of deliverance there. He's a good God of deliverance in the Old Testament. I could apply it to your life then and say that God is a God of deliverance in the Old and New Testament. So God is gonna deliver you from your suffering. I could tell you that you can be joyful this morning because God is gonna deliver you, that this season of suffering that you're going through is just that. It's a season, it's only temporary. It's not gonna be forever, rejoice. And you guys and I would leave here this morning feeling fill, fooled, and feeling joyful and feeling like that is the best news ever. But the truth of the matter is that it would be cheap. It would be hollow joy. It would not be the fullness of the counsel of God when it comes to suffering and deliverance. 
Because you see, what Paul is actually saying here in this verse is that his suffering is turning out for his deliverance. So at Paul, what he's using, that word deliverance, he's using the Greek word soteria. Soteria is where we get the study, the theological study of salvation. So final salvation. What Paul is saying here is that this suffering is gonna turn out for my deliverance. He's not talking liberation, he's talking salvation. Paul is not saying that I'm gonna be free from my chains. He said these chains, in fact, are gonna turn out for my death. So Paul, as he is talking about this deliverance, the relationship that we've got to understand this morning, if we can have joy in this, how can Paul be joyful in this death, this, these chains that are going to deliver him over to death? We've got to understand that Paul has changed his mindset from the temporary to the eternal. That's why Paul says this, Bailey used this verse for us last week in 2 Corinthians 4.17, that Paul is understanding that this deliverance is not deliverance from suffering, but deliverance by suffering. That's why Paul says this in verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see that Paul, even though he was in chains, even though that he was about to die for his faith, that this was, he calls him a light momentary affliction. He is going through some of the biggest and deepest and darkest suffering that any of us could ever go through as he is going to lay down his life for the sake of the gospel, and he calls it a light momentary affliction. So maybe this will make this a little bit more clear what Paul is actually saying here by saying he's gonna be, be delivered over by his suffering, not from his suffering, that Paul is not writing a thank you letter to the Philippians here, this is a goodbye letter. Paul is not saying thank you for your prayers, Philippians, thank you Holy Spirit for your help that you're delivering me from my chains. He is saying goodbye, but through your prayers, Philippians, for the Lord's will to take place in my life through the Holy Spirit of helping me, not helping me get out of these chains, but helping me stand firm as I'm going to lay down my life because he's put on eternal mindset that suffering now will be worth it in eternity. So that's why Paul continues, he continues in this argument by saying this in Acts 14. So Paul is going to Derby and he's going to preach the gospel in the city and he is stoned and left for dead. They drag him outside the city because he's preached the gospel, leaving him for dead and he gets back up and he goes the very next day and continues to preach the gospel to advance the gospel. And Paul says this, uh, I think next verse here for 22, uh, or 21, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to, Antium, uh, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. So Paul is understanding that suffering is a natural part of the human experience, of the natural part of the human life, that we should not be hiding from these sufferings, but he's saying, in fact, that we must go through these sufferings to enter into the kingdom of God. So we have got to change our mentality this morning if we hope to rejoice at any point in our suffering. So the first thing of how, if you wanna take notes and write down of how you can rejoice even in the middle of your suffering this morning, the first thing is that your suffering, 
even if it kills you, like it killed Paul, you get to be with Christ. That if you are suffering and it feels like your suffering today is going to destroy you, even kill you, you can rejoice today because you get to be with Christ. Someone that know, knew this mentality better than most was uh, Elizabeth Elliot. I don't know if many of you guys are familiar with who she is. She's a missionary's wife. Her husband was Jim Elliot, who at 28 went to Ecuador, went to preach the gospel to a people that had never heard the gospel, and he was speared to death. She knew that even if it cost her husband his life, which it did, it was worth it because he got to be in eternity with Christ. But why she had joy in the middle of that, why she was able to then go learn the language of those native Indians there and to go to the very people that killed her husband, is, there's gotta be a joy there. She understood that even if it cost her her life, that she would be in eternity with Christ. You see, she knew suffering better than most. I mean, think about that. Her husband is dead at any given holiday or birthday, there's an empty seat at the table. As they're raising, her daughter was only 10 months old when Jim died, so she's gonna raise a daughter for the rest of her life that she's thinking about this suffering and loss. The only way that, that it was actually worth it to her was knowing that in eternity, she got to be with Christ. So for us this morning in the room, whatever that suffering is for you, if that suffering is physical, if that suffering is sickness, if it is anxiety, if it's relational, maybe with even the people in this room, maybe it's with your family, maybe it's whatever it is, it feels so tough, it feels so hard that you can't even get out of bed in the morning, that you don't wanna have a conversation with someone, that you've gotta force a smile on your face. I'm telling you as your pastor, the reason why it's worth it is because it will be worth it in eternity. Because the truth of the matter is that our suffering in this room this morning, it's, it's not me minimalizing your suffering, it's not me trivializing your suffering, but based on scripture, like we said, why we can rejoice is because that suffering is temporary. You may be here for another 10 years on this earth, another 20 years, if you're lucky, if the Lord wills it, another 50 years, or maybe five minutes. James says our life is a vapor. We're not promised tomorrow. But why it is worth it is because one day, like we just sang, there will be a great rejoicing. That one day there will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. That what you are feeling now is temporary in light of eternity of the weight of glory that you will receive in Christ Jesus if he has truly saved you by his grace grace through that faith alone, you will be rejoicing. So we can rejoice today knowing that this is in fact temporary. So I know like it gets very difficult for us as we're in the season of suffering, as we're thinking about all the things swirling around in our hearts and our heads and it becomes very easy to become insular to just focus on ourselves and what we've got going on. But the question we have to ask ourselves this morning, as Paul was talking about, he'll be delivered through prayer and through the help of the Spirit, 
The question we've got to ask ourselves this morning is what does our prayer life look like in suffering? What does our dependence on the Spirit look like in our suffering? Are we praying that God would deliver us from our suffering? Or are we saying that we can rejoice even now, God, not my will, but yours be done. Whatever you want from me, that's what I pray. Not that you would deliver me from this, but by your strength, Spirit, will you give me the ability to carry through this for the sake of the gospel. Because the truth of the matter is that we can have joy in this, just in this suffering, just like Christ did. I know we don't have this verse, but uh, it came to mind this morning of why we can have joy in any suffering whatsoever. It's Hebrews 12, 2. Uh, so if you want to jot that down and turn there or, or find your way over there, um, I'll try to quote it from memory. The Spirit's just bringing it to mind now, is that the Lord, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. He understood that what was before him, although it was difficult, although it was the hardest thing, the hardest suffering that anyone would ever go through as he was crucified for our sins and took on our suffering on the cross and he became a curse for us and he had the wrath of God do sin poured out on him that he counted it a joy because he knew that it would advance the gospel and glorify God. Are we willing to say the same thing in our life, to look at our suffering as a means to advance the gospel and to glorify God? Are we asking to be delivered from it, not asking God to deliver people to himself by our suffering? When we are praying and asking people to pray for us in our sin, are we asking people, just pray that the Lord takes away this sickness, pray that the Lord takes away this disease, pray the Lord takes away this suffering? Are we praying, Will you pray for me to be strong in this so that way I can use this as a means to advance the gospel? What would that do for this community if we as Christians did not shirk suffering, if we did not shy away from it, but we entered into it just like Christ entered into suffering with a joy that's saying that whatever the cost, I know I have joy in eternity, but I can have joy now as I advance the gospel. I can tell you what it would do for us and strengthen us as a body of believers, but I can't tell you what it would do for those outside the body of Christ to see Christians suffer well. You see Christians that suffer well, the gospel flourishes and advances. Bailey talked about this last week as we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world that are suffering for doing what we are doing right now. And the gospel is exploding because it is costing people everything, but that's what it should cost us, everything, because it costs Christ everything to suffer for us. So I don't know about you, but when I talk about my own suffering, I don't want to be like Paul uh, in, in, at my end in knowing that my suffering, like my time is coming to a close. I don't want to get old one day or, and just come to this realization that I was so focused on my own suffering that I missed out on the joy that could be found as I suffered well and advanced the gospel. So the second thing of why we can 
rejoice even in the middle of our suffering, if it feels like it's going to destroy us, possibly even kill us, is simply that we can rejoice today. Not, I'm not talking eternity. We can rejoice today in our suffering if it has purpose in advancing the gospel. So I think that's why Paul continues in verse 20 as he says this, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. That Paul, when he's talking about an eager expectation and a hope, he's not talking about uh, our expectations and our hope. Like, I hoped the Braves would have won the World Series or I hoped that the Georgia Bulldogs would not have lost to LSU. I'm sorry, Brendan, I know you were cheering for him. But this hope and this expectation is completely different. It's an assurity. Because you see, as we talked about, as Paul, that relationship of deliverance and suffering, that Paul had put on that eternal mindset, that mindset that we have to put on, because what Paul is saying, that it's his eager expectation and the hope that he won't be ashamed, he won't be ashamed because of why. Why won't Paul be ashamed? He continues by saying, but that it is full courage, the Greek there, full courage, sometimes it's translated as boldness. So what Paul is trying to convey is that, but he won't be ashamed, but that with full courage and boldness, it means to speak the gospel, to continue to proclaim, that Paul will proclaim the gospel now, as always, even if it's costing him his life, even if he can proclaim the gospel when things are good, but even now when he believes that this suffering is going to cause him his life, even now he will proclaim the gospel. As always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or my death. That Paul is saying that we can rejoice today in our suffering because Christ will be honored whether we go on living or whether we die Christ will be honored. I don't know if we realize that, that it doesn't take us to honor Christ. That Psalm says, if we don't cry out, that the rocks will cry out. But the question we have to ask ourselves this morning in the middle of our suffering is, are we going to honor Christ in our life and in our death, in the middle of our suffering, if we continue to live on, are we going to honor him? This idea of honoring someone is really lost on our culture. So it's probably most prevalent in like a Japanese culture or uh, I think the best illustration that I can draw your attention back to is medieval times. So if someone was dedicating their lives or their fealty to a king, uh, what they would do is have to live by a code of honor. And that code of honor would say, whether by their life or by their death, that whatever may come, that they live to glorify and bring honor to that king. So if you guys have watched Lord of the Rings like me as a nerd, you see that Pippin pledges his fealty to a king. Go back and listen to that and it gives you a whole new perspective of what he's actually saying. But that's what Paul is saying here in this text this morning is whether by his life or by his death. So if Paul is going to die, he's going to rejoice because he can be with Christ. If he goes on living, he's going to rejoice because it means he gets to have more fruitful labor. He gets to advance the gospel that he gets to do this through his life. Paul would say elsewhere, I think we have this verse as well, Tristan, uh, Romans 12, 1, it just brings this to mind, that he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual worship, that Paul is saying that whether he lives or he dies, his life is not his own, that he was purchased with a price, that he is no longer he that lives, that Christ lives in him, that he is raised with Christ in the heavenly places, so that whether he lives or he dies, his life is not his own. So if it's a sacrifice of him pouring out his life for the gospel, it's worth it because Christ first poured out his life to reclaim Paul from the sin that he was in. So for us in the room this morning, the question we then have to ask ourselves is, in the middle of our suffering, are we becoming so insular? Although it is real, although it hurts, although it is one of the most painful things that you're going through, and if you've never been in suffering, like I said earlier, it's coming. It will happen, it's the byproduct of a sinful, broken, fallen world. So the prayer for us this morning that we have got to ask ourselves is are we willing to live every day as a living sacrifice for Christ? Are we willing to honor him in our life or in our death? Because the truth of the matter is if we're praying to be delivered from our suffering, it, it's not gonna fix anything, right? because we're still living in a broken, flawed world, we may be delivered from one suffering only to be delivered to another one. Only to be delivered to another one, only to be delivered to another one. So the only way that this life actually finds meaning is finding its meaning in Christ. So if you this morning come in this room with so much heavy heart and burden from that suffering, my encouragement to you is to advance the gospel like Paul said. To advance the gospel. Why? Why is that my encouragement? Because joy is found when you have purpose. Joy is found when you have purpose, right? You can do almost anything. You can bear almost anything when you have purpose. Viktor Frankl uh, wrote this great book, if you haven't read, it's called Man's Search for Meaning. He's a Holocaust survivor, and he wrote his memoirs back, writing about being in, a, in Auschwitz in a imprisonment camp. And he says this, he's like, if, um, I might misquote this, it just came to mind, is um, anyone can deal with the what if they know why. If there's a why behind what we have going on, suffering becomes bearable, right? It doesn't take much for me to prove this to you. If you're a Georgia college student or if you've been in college or school whatsoever, you're willing to wake up at 8 a.m., you're willing to buy school books, you're willing to take on school debt, you're willing to go and study, you're willing to sacrifice, you're willing to suffer if you know that the ends matter. If you get that degree, we all suffer if we know that there's purpose. And I'm telling you in this room that your only purpose is found in Christ. That if you're suffering, don't let it be for naught. Rejoice in Christ and knowing that as you advance his gospel, that's what you were made to do. And that as you come along other brothers and sisters in this room this morning, that they are suffering alongside you as well. That this is in that same vein of what we talked about earlier in Philippians about sanctification, about the Lord not only just using good things like his scripture and his word, 
and singing and Bible study and spiritual disciplines to shape us into the image of his son, but also each other. That God uses everything, even your suffering, to shape you into the image of his son as your purpose is to carry out the gospel. As we started this series of talking with grace and peace was given to you, grace and peace is not given to us just to ride out into eternity, but it's so we extend it to those that don't know Christ. Because like we said, as we extend the gospel, we walk into our purpose, we walk into our identity, we can have joy. And I can tell you what, from hearing the accounts of some of you guys and girls that are sitting in this very room of how Christ saved you guys last year, and the joy that came in the guys' hearts that were able to share the gospel with you, that is even what's keeping us sustained in ministry now. Is not this building, is not this microphone, it's not these spotted speckled floors, it's not our banner that's not spelled right. What is keeping us sustained in the ministry of the gospel is the advancement of the gospel. The reason why we have joy in the gospel is because the gospel is advanced. It actually matters, right? That the gospel is changing lives because the truth is that our suffering is temporary. But there are people outside these four walls that are suffering and their suffering will be an eternal suffering separated from their king, that they are dying apart from Christ. If we don't have any joy in the middle of this life besides Christ and Christ crucified, that is enough to take it to the rest of the world. That if we don't find our true joy and meaning and purpose here, good, it was never meant to be here. The fullness of our joy is in eternity with Christ. We are aliens and strangers and sojourners, Scripture says. That's where we find our meaning. That's why for Paul, as he concludes this thought of suffering, says this in verse 21. This is the heartbeat of this study of Philippians when he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's saying, if I live Christ, if I die, it's gain. There's many commentators that I was reading this week that say that even that justification of the, the, the wording there sometimes gets lost on us. What Paul is actually saying there is not my only gain is when I die in Christ, so I need to live for Christ today. What he's saying that for me, Christ is gain in life and in death, that he can have joy even in the middle of his suffering today as he lives for Christ just like we can have joy in the middle of our suffering today as we seek to advance the gospel. But for us, it's also gain in death as we get to be with Christ in eternity. So as, as I was reading this week, I thought it was such a really powerful text that the Lord was just really weighing on my heart um, that Paul here, many commentators believe that he was actually uh, in his stocks and in his chains, he was probably reminiscing on scripture as well. Like, I can't imagine how if I were sitting in chains, uh, my only comfort would be God's word. That Paul was sitting here and even the context of even uh, when he's talking about deliverance in verse 19 and hope in verse 20, uh, Job 13 is that exact context that many commentators believe that Paul is actually Uh, meditating and thinking about the life of Job here as he suffered and he did nothing to deserve this suffering. 
that Paul did nothing to deserve that suffering. So he's meditating on those words. So if you want to mark it down in your notes somewhere to go back and read Job 13, Job is talking about his eternal deliverance. Job is not talking about being delivered from his momentary sufferings. That Job is saying that, as we will sing here in just a moment, that Job is able to say, even if you slay me, he's talking to the Lord, even if you kill me in the middle of this suffering, I know it will turn out for my deliverance. He's saying, even if I die, I know that's what's best for me. So for us this morning, as we talk about this suffering, as we talk about living for Christ in the middle of our suffering, I hope you guys know uh, it's not my heart to wound or to belittle suffering. Um, I told a lot of people this this week, and my wife included, that I'm more of a coach than I am a counselor. So if this is coming across more as heavy-handed uh, rather than encouragement, the, the purpose is not to leave you here feeling helpless, but the only good news that I have for you this morning is not gonna be a peppy and a joy in the middle of your suffering. The best news that you need to hear is that Christ suffered first for us and prepared a way for us into eternity. So the only thing I can do as your pastor is rest on the authority of scripture and say, this is what scripture says. And whether we are encouraged by that or not, like I said at the beginning, I would have loved to leave us out of here saying, God will deliver you from your suffering. But scripture tells me that's only part of the counsel of God, that sometimes he will deliver you to him by your suffering. So as we are landing the plane and talking about all of this suffering, I just want us to take a moment to stop and think about maybe people that we have seen suffer well for the cause of Christ. I knew I've seen count after account after account. There's so many videos that I wanted to show this week of, of people who knew their eternal destination in the middle of suffering, in the middle of death, they were still encouraged. But that doesn't just have to be a video on a screen. That doesn't just have to be someone else somewhere else. What happens if we take the truth of scripture and apply it to our own life here in Milledgeville? What happens to our suffering? We're undefeatable if we apply this to our life because if we go on suffering, it doesn't compare to the eternal weight of glory. If we die, so what? We get to be with Christ. If we go on living, we preach the gospel. It doesn't matter where we fall in this. In Milledgeville, as you go out from here, your suffering may not cease, but your Savior is still with you. Your community is still with you. We encourage you to go into missional communities to plug into life so that way we can encourage each other in the middle of our suffering. But the best way we encourage each other is by applying truth. That's why we study scripture in missional communities. That's why our DNA with Brendan and I, we confess sin where that sometimes we don't feel like this is actually a reason to rejoice, but we apply truth because we know that it's true. What would your classroom look like if you were in the middle of suffering instead of hiding that suffering from them that you walked into and you, like Christ, showed your wounds to the world and said, I'm suffering here, but I know my Savior 
is going to deliver me. Maybe not today, maybe not in this life, but in eternity he will. What does it do for those that are outside of the body of Christ? What testimony does that give to them that we actually believe what we proclaim to believe? That it will be okay in our death, that it will be okay in our life because we had a savior that suffered first for us. So as we leave here this morning, uh, I don't wanna leave this hanging in the air for you. Does that make sense? Uh, I wanna give you something tangible. I wanna give you a first practical step. If you're a Christ follower in this room, what you're to do. So we'll throw this up on the screen here for you. It's where we started this morning. Is pray daily for God to shift your perspective of suffering from the temporal to the eternal. Because you cannot do this in your own strength. You can't even deliver yourself from your own suffering. How are you going to change your own perspective about suffering? You couldn't deliver yourself from your own sin. Christ had to do that. That's why Paul started in verse 19 with prayer and dependence on the help of the Holy Spirit. So for you this week, if you are in Christ, pray knowing that what James says, that prayers of the righteous are effectual. They matter. They change things. And you're righteous only because Christ is righteous if you're in, if you're in Christ this morning. So pray. Ask the Lord to change that. Because I promise you, the more we try to deliver ourselves from that suffering, we end up coping we end up stonewalling off and finding our pleasure and finding our comfort and finding our approval and finding our power in anything else besides the finished work of the cross. And if you are not in Christ this morning, whether you're just here because, I don't know, maybe a friend invited you, or maybe as you sit back in the middle of your suffering and realizing that I am not depending on Christ for everything. That, in fact, I haven't even depended on Christ for him to save me out of my sin. That perspective shift for you this morning is to look at your Savior, your hoped soon to be Savior, and ask him to change your perspective on your dependence on yourself, to clean yourself up. To, to save you out of your belief that you can deliver yourself from your suffering. So as we end every week in communion, we get to remember, but also rejoice because although suffering is real today, that Christ has finished his work on the cross. That the suffering that he endured on the cross as he poured out his blood, as his body was broken, purchased for himself many sons and daughters, that means us in this room. That we no longer have to suffer day to day feeling like we have to carry this on, on ourselves. So take the bread as his body was broken. Take of the juice as his blood that was poured out. And remembering that your suffering even today was absorbed 
by him on the cross. But if you're not yet part of the body of Christ, we ask that you abstain and use this time to contemplate because those symbols don't yet mean anything to you. I pray, I pray, I pray that you'd use this time to ask the Lord to open your heart, to show you himself why those symbols mean so much and what they can mean to your life. And as we enter into the time of communion, as always, scripture is clear, if you have tension or unresolved sin in your heart, use this time to reconcile to the Lord or to one another uh, before you partake in communion. So let's pray and communion will be open. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are truly our only hope this morning. Thank you for the truth that even if you kill us with this suffering, if you allow us to perish, if you allow us to die, that it will turn out for our deliverance. God, only you know the suffering that's going on in the room this morning. Only you know the pain that your people are feeling. Father, I pray that you would send your spirit to encourage that you are the great comforter, but also you, your spirit leads us into truth. I pray that you would lead us into the truth that although our pain and suffering is real, that you are greater. And for that reason, we can rejoice even today, even in the middle of our suffering, because you are a true treasure and joy, the only reason we live. So Father, thank you for first suffering for us, for counting it a joy to suffer for your people. That you didn't ask for the cup to be passed from you alone, but you asked for your Father's will. So we ask for your will this morning in the hearts and lives of your people. So Father, we love you, but thank you for first loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.